0: Friday. hello happy class friday, happy friday hello who is happy for friday clap if you're happy yay. clap yes. right now I if you're happy too. that it's friday dr Payne, too. welcome back you were in louisville
1: was, earlier in the I week was. can can y'all hear me okay good yay i was i was in louisville kentucky or louisville as they say is louisville a nice place it's, it's a wonderful place. I was there at an institute that helps people become better theological educators, which is what I am right now and what I'm doing right now. It was wonderful, um, but I missed home, and I'm really glad to be back because there's no place like Oregon, God's country. No
0: place like home. I noticed that everybody, including the panelists, were all wearing jackets. Yep. It reminds me of this Jim Gaffigan joke, like in Oregon, everyone's ready to just break out into a hike at any time. Yep. Like, we could go. You have to be wearing a vest and like hiking boots, because like who knows, a hike just might happen. Yeah. Like in hikes a moment. Hikes happen to you. Things yeah. Things. Hikes happen it's to you in Oregon. Terrible. Inordinate.
1: You like them. I'm not so much of a. Hiker, <laughs> but,
0: yeah. We want to especially welcome our Friday at Fox guests. Can we give yes. a round of applause for Friday welcome. at Fox? Parents, students. Happy yeah. that you're here. And welcome. for
1: those of you who are new to this, just to let you know, on Monday we have a lecture about one part of the Creed. On Wednesday we have a discussion group about it, and then on Friday we have a panel discussion. And we're excited about it because we have some really excellent panelists for today based on your excellent lecture on Monday. I was sorry to miss it, but I did listen to it on the podcast, which all of you can do.
0: We have a special announcement that we need to make about the location of the midterm exam. We're going to announce this again on Monday, and we're going to give you emails, so there's going to be multiple chances here. So we'll we'll keep it short now, but we'll announce more on Monday and in an email. The midterm exam, which is next Wednesday, October 16th, is going to be held in here in Bauman. In here in this room. This room offers a couple of logistical challenges like we're all crushed in so close, which is why we're gonna sit all across the lower section every other seat as possible. We want you to bring a pencil for erasing stuff because it's weird when you want need to like erase stuff with a pen and then you end up like blotting out the entire exam, you know, with your pen. So don't do that. And we want you to bring something to write on. Notice that there's no desk apparatus that comes out of the seat. So if you could bring a book, some kind of flat surface. You can always write on your lap. I mean, that's not the best. You could always try to write in mid-air. But bringing a book or something like that would really help you. So we're asking you to bring your own book for the exam to write on, not to open, but to to write on it so there's a writing surface. Does that make sense? Yes. Pencil, book, spread out.
1: And one of the major benefits of taking a test in the room that you took the class in is that studies show that you're able to recall things a little bit better. So it's actually good news that we're going to be taking the test in here. And any information that you need to know as you study, you can find on the Theo study guide, which there's a link to that on the Theo course website. And there's tips for, er, there's instructions on like the format of the, cl- of the exam, terms to study. Uh, so there should be plenty of information there for you. We are excited for you to be studying. One of my recommendations for studying in any class is find a group of people to study with. Um, Mm. It's you'll you'll learn a lot better if you work on that together Um, and last but not least before we get to our panel discussion Oh wait, I have one more announcement. I think somebody lost left an earbud in here (laughs) on Monday So let me know Um, and I'm sure you weren't using it during class, but uh, FYI so if you're missing one come and see me um, after class And then uh, finally, last but not least, we are going to recite the creed together up to the point of our lecture on Monday. So are you ready to do that with me? Will you join me in reciting the creed? I I believe believe in God,
0: the the Father Father, Almighty, Almighty, Creator. Creator.
1: Excellent. All right. So Dr. Doak is a part of the panel today. Yay. Let's welcome him. And of course, you know, you can submit questions in written form to Jenna, who is roaming the aisles searching for good questions. Or you can also uh, submit questions by just standing or raising your hand and standing. But we're gonna start with an opening question. First, I'm gonna introduce the panel to you. As you know, uh, Dr. Doak, who gave our lecture this morning, or this Monday, is here. Welcome, Dr. Doak, back to the stage, yes. Wow, you got cheers. All right. And then we also have Pastor Ashley Bell with us this morning. Welcome, Pastor don't know Ashley me, Bell. But... She is a pastor of local and global outreach at Cedar Mill Bible Church, and she is also a speaker and writer and blogger at Joy of It, um, and uh, we're just super happy to have her with us. And then we also have uh, Pastor Dominic Dome, who you know as part of the teaching team here. Yes, welcome, Pastor Dominic. All right, so we want to start with a little bit of a offbeat question for you all today, which is we talked about God as creator uh, this week, and I wanted to ask each of you to tell me, do you have a creative outlet? And what is it, first off, because we we all are dying to know. And then we also want to know, um, what have you learned about God as creator through your own creative activities? So can I start with you, Pastor, yeah, we'll
2: yeah, go totally. down the line? Um, so uh, Dostoevsky, uh, he said that beauty will save the world. Mm. And uh, I, I love that because I think uh, because we serve and, and follow a beautiful God, th- then I think the pursuit of beauty and creativity and, and art will naturally flow from us in, in a myriad of ways. Um, so for me personally, I love writing. Uh, I, I don't know if coffee counts as a creative yeah. outlet. <laughs> I think um, it and I love photography. Uh, Oh, Yeah, so like today after, uh, in the afternoon, I'm going to take my camera, go out and and explore a little bit. It's just kind of a meditative practice for me.
1: Oh,
3: that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Pastor Bell. Awesome. Um, I think this is a really important question, so I'm glad you asked it. When we think of God as creator, I think we have to think of him as creative as well. And so when you asked me that question, I thought, well, I don't think of myself as creative at all, actually. And then I thought, wait, no, I am. I I write. Um, That's a form of expression for me. Um, Sometimes I paint or I draw or build crazy things that I see on YouTube. that I don't build correctly, but I like it. (laughs) Sometimes I like to hammer stuff. I think that's okay. Um, And I also, you know, I love creative people. I I like music, and so I love Beyonce, and I like good films, and so I like directors who think of creative ways of putting things in films that kind of show us the world with a new perspective,
1: so. Thank you, thank you. All right, Dr.
0: Doug. When I was a freshman in college, when I came into college, I actually started as an art major because I just love painting. But I wasn't very good, and I had a crisis about what I would do with that major. Art majors out there, anybody? Okay. So, and I, I don't know that I was very good at it, so I quit and I did other things, but I've tried to revive that that, um, that interest at various times, just painting. Um, and what it tells me about God is that, I mean, what it tells me about creativity, at least on the human level, is that making a creative work, uh, you know, you see, like, you go to an art museum and you see an abstract painting, you're like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, no, you couldn't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. Like, it's frustrating and it's hard, but I think the other thing that it, maybe it does show about God is that when we are creative, we're, we're really saying something about ourselves, and so when we look out at the world, granted, there's, there are hard things. There's murder and evil, and it's like, wait, what's th- is that part of God's creativity? No, that can't be, but then when we see beauty, when we see just amazing acts and wonderful writing and great photography and music. It's like that must say something about God, no matter who created it or no matter where it is. So I guess it tells me those things.
1: Thank you. All right. Well, we want to kick it back to you students. We know that you have excellent questions for us. Jenna, what what do you have for us this morning? Yeah,
4: first I'm going to address the Probably not all of these written questions will get answered because there's already eight of them, but yes. um, <laughs> there's two of them that are really close to each other, and it's how do we know that this like, creation story is right? Like How do we know, like oh, the Israelites are this like, kind of like, emerging civilization at this point in the story, and they have this story th- of like, how the earth came to be and God and all of that. Like, how do we know that's correct?
1: Ooh, that's great. Okay, well, Dr. Duke, you talked, you opened your talk <laughs> with talking about other creative or creation stories. Do you want to tackle this one first?
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's that seems like a really relevant good question. And it seems like to me though it's it's all it's also tied into a much bigger question, which is I mean to me to answer that question is also tantamount to addressing the question, how do we know there's a god? How do we know that anything is right? How do we know anything that we read in the Bible is true or correct? And so I don't think that that question is actually separable from those other questions. I don't think it's like, "Oh, I believe there's a god and I believe" You know, the Bible is God's word. But the creation story, it's like, eh, I don't know. Is that the right one? I'm not sure. Like, usually these things go as a package deal. And so I don't know how satisfying that is as a kind of a beginning to an answer to that to say, (laughs) I think it's weird. um, Faith ends up being like this. There's a philosopher I like named Ludwig Wittgenstein, and he has this image. He says, this is what faith is like. He says, faith is like you see somebody, and they're walking on a tightrope between two buildings, and you're very far away. And you look at them, and you're like they are walking out, that person is walking on thin air. And then you get closer and closer and you're like, oh, they're actually walking on a tightrope. It's barely there, but it's there. And for the person walking on it, they actually feel under their feet what it is, but maybe to other people it looks weird. And I guess in some ways my response to that is, my response exactly to that question is like, I know the creation, sto- I, kn- I know that the Bible's accounts, and I'm gonna say accounts in the plural specifically, of creation are correct because I've sort of, like, lived with God, and I felt little tastes of what it's like to live in Christian community, and it's, and it's an article of faith in that sense, but I, I don't know it by some, you know, sitting at a table and rational calculation. I don't know, I'm rambling now. Pastor Bell, what do you think about that question? Is that, what would you say? Uh,
3: well, you answered it, really. <laughs> that, that, is, that is what I would say. I think there's a big part of um, Christianity or following Jesus that is about faith. And so we can't necessarily rationalize or intellectualize some of the things that we read. And that's actually dangerous when we do that because we take the faith aspect out of it. We take kind of the Holy Spirit's revelation out of it. And as God changes our hearts and works through us, we come to know Jesus as this creator and we don't get caught up in some of the things that we feel like hold us back from believing that. So there's no real clean answer to that, which is super frustrating. But it's just it's just not clean and easy.
2: I think one way to look at it is, is it beautiful? You know, we started the conversation with, with beauty, and I think we need to have a recapturing of an apologetic of beauty, uh, of how beauty can actually open our eyes to truth. And there is something about the, the Christian worldview and even the creation story that's beautiful as opposed to other Creation myths or, or stories. Um, I think it was Heidegger who used the word Geworvenheit, which means thrownness And he argued that we've been kind of thrown at life um, That there's really no purpose to it. It's all an accident and you look at other ways of interpreting reality um, That is one explanation. This is all an accident and our life has no purpose and meaning uh, But the God of the Bible actually gives us a different story and it's one that I find it's is beautiful. It's not thrownness but we've been sent into life. A, a, a loving, beautiful God created a world of beauty, and then he calls us to create beauty. To me, that's incredible. Mm. So that's one way of, of looking at that, R- rather than just how do we know it's true. Uh, step back and ask, I- is it beautiful? And, and I believe it is.
1: Mm. Thank you. All right, Jenna, What? aha, do we have a live no. question? Do you still have a question?
0: They're thinking about it. Okay. I'm okay. not sure. There's somebody right there. Oh, now he's back.
1: Oh.
5: <laughs> okay, so this is, or my name's Kevin Lockwood, but um, this question's about, you said, if it's beautiful, then it's probably true. Um, there are a lot of um, art pieces that revolve around some pretty grotesque things. Um, and a lot of people find like some, some forms of body horror pretty beautiful. Would you say that that kind of violates that sentiment?
2: Or mm. how do you reconcile that?
1: Oh, great question.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say it, that beauty equals truth. And you're right, there are some people who have uh, interesting <laughs> interpretations of, of what beauty looks like. Um, I came across a fascinating article uh, a couple weeks ago. It's the University of Texas. And they were doing this whole philosophical study in aesthetics and, and art and beauty and they were looking at toddlers. And what they found is that uh, the vast majority of toddlers, when they saw something symmetrical, um, their, their face would like light up, and they'd beam, and they'd smile. and So they're like drawing this connection between symmetry and, and beauty, and how the brain begins to interpret beauty, um, which is kind of disturbing to me, because the last time I saw a, a little baby and went up to say hi, it screamed. So I <laughs> guess there's a lack of symmetry there. Um, <laughs> but but there there is just certain ways that our our brain is designed to to see beauty and for me it's less of okay something if we find something compelling or beautiful therefore it's true i would step back and say okay who is god and god by definition you know david said I long to see your beauty. He you spoke of the beauty of God. So there's something to the presence of God, who he is, that I think is our ultimate definition of beauty rather than just subjective, oh, I like the Joker movie or whatever. Um, there, you can have a debate about that. But I, I, Maybe this is getting too platonic. But I do think that there is um, ultimate beauty that's found in God.
0: Yeah, I wondered if I could ask Pastor Bell about this because you brought up your, the idea that you love music. And I know one question a student submitted actually a couple weeks ago that we never had, had a chance to answer, or at least in one of their reaction papers. They said something like, I wanna be close to God, I wanna know what's right, but it's like, I also love like pop music. I love rock music, I love rap or whatever. And sometimes it's like the lyrics or the themes are things that are, I don't know, uh, this person says something like are really hard and so it's like, how do I be a Christian? And I think it's tied to this question of beauty, like I listen to a lot of music that it's like, oh, this is so good, but then I'm like, wait a minute, like, I try to scrutinize it, but then I'm like, should I scrutinize it? How, how do you deal with that as a pastor or, or just as a human being, that yeah. issue?
3: Well, the first thing I would say to that is, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever we're watching something or listening to something, we always have to be thinking through what we're watching and what we're listening to. And we have to run it through this filter of, would God find this beautiful? I mean, if, if you're a believer Um, and I am, I always think to myself whenever I'm watching anything, whether it's Christian or not actually, would Jesus find this beautiful? What would Jesus think about this? What is being communicated in this? And I think we also have to think through like, people create art and they create songs and it's not just something that they're doing blase, you know, it's they're telling a story And so whether or not we find it beautiful or not, it's someone else's story. So it's not for me to find beautiful, it's for me to respect and for me to honor and for me to engage in. And so sometimes even though I don't find that thing beautiful, it still is true and real because they find it true and real and it's beautiful to them.
0: Mm. I think too, just in my own spiritual perspective, like. People can create things, can make things, can reflect beauty, the beauty of God, and maybe they don't even know it. Maybe that was not even their intention. Quakers, you probably all know that this is a, a friend's Quaker institution and its founding in 1891, have this really distinctive view that the light of Christ is in every single human being, everyone. And it doesn't matter actually who you are, what you did, you know, what your body's like or not like, or anything like that, and if that's actually true, if that radical claim is true about the world and about people, that would mean we're all kind of like reflecting Christ in all of these varying ways and degrees. And so it may not even be a question of like, is this art Christian art? Is this a Christian painting? You know, it's like, and like you said, I mean, I really resonate with that. Sometimes I've seen cr- things that were produced by Christians or intended to be Christian, whatever. And I'm like, I don't see beauty there. In fact, I, this is like anti-Christ or, you yeah. know, something <laughs> like that. And so I think that that, that's, that sounds like a great, uh, you know, point to bring up.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you bringing up the inner light stuff because that is tied to the idea that we are created in the image of God. We are creatures. God as creator. It's all coming back to the, our, our main theme. Jenna, what other questions do you have?
0: Got a couple in the back yeah. row there. You can also read yeah. off the paper.
1: Okay.
4: I'm gonna first read off this paper because this one's really we'll good. We'll get to you in the and back. And then we'll I'll get to you. the back. Yes. Just like there are legitimately like 13 responses in paper now. So. Um, their question is do we interpret creation through the Bible or interpret the Bible through creation?
1: Read that again <laughs>
4: <laughs> Do we interpret creation through the l- like a biblical lens or do we impose like our view of creation onto the Bible?
0: Is okay. this like a is this like a science evolution? I kind think of thing? so
4: and there's been a few that are like asking about that like yeah, how yeah, do no. we do that?
0: We should go there totally okay. All right. So, I mean, one point from the lecture that I'd like to bring up again by way of review is our picture of the material world has changed and cannot be squared with the exact material picture of the ancient world that we find in the Bible. I think it can be spiritually squared with it, and it is spiritually relevant eternally. But, like, the idea that the earth is flat, something pretty much every ancient person thought up to a point, is just not true. It was never true. It's not true now. You know, it just—it isn't. And so we have to kind of, like—this is where I brought up this idea of accommodation. There has to be some sense. And the pastors can take this over. Maybe you've got a better way of like preaching or talking about this than I had. But there has to be some sense. How far it goes and what is the sense is open. But there has to be some sense that when we read scripture, we know that it was revealed to a particular people in a particular time and in a particular place. And those people weren't us 3,000 years ago, but they were us now. And so there's this kind of like paradoxical thing. Having said that, um, I think that we interpret everything through the Bible. I mean, in response to that question, like, do we interpret X, whatever X is through scripture? The answer is yes, like every time. The problem is like, how does that actually play out like in the world and in what we do? And I don't think that that, the question almost seems to assume that that has a self-evident answer. Either you believe in the Bible or you don't. It's like, well, okay, I believe in the Bible, but like, what does that mean? You would actually have to have a conversation about that with a lot of topics. So the question seems to presuppose this idea, like, slam-bang, like, we know where you stand if you interpret the Bible through... It's like, no, that's not the way that works at all, in my opinion.
1: Pastors, (laughs) Pastor Bell, what do you think? I'm still trying to wrestle with that
3: question (laughs) myself. Um, Yeah, I, I think everything we do is taken through the lens of Scripture, for sure. But I think when I hear that question, I recognize that scripture has been abused um, to do some pretty horrible things. And so with that, I think we also have to take scripture through the lens of, okay, Holy Spirit, communicate what you want this to mean to me here and now, because it was written to a certain people group, but that doesn't mean that it's unrelatable for us here and now. I think through their narrative and through all the literary styles that can be found in the Bible, and it is many, um, we can look through the Bible and say, oh, there's a point of relation there. God isn't telling me the whole story because he wants me to think through some things that were critical for the people then and also in my circumstance now. So there is no clean answer for that, but I do believe that, yes, I take everything through the lens of Scripture and also through the lens of God. What are you trying to say to me right now, and what were you trying to say to them? And it's also really important that you read Scripture for yourself and know what it is saying, because then other people will try to tell you what it's saying, and maybe their interpretation of Scripture is not correct at all. And so that's probably a whole nother. Thing that we could get into. but
2: That's so great. good. I think it was Isaac Newton who said that God has given us two books. He's given us the book of his word and the book of his world. Uh, David echoed a similar sentiment in Psalm 19. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God. So what we see is this beautiful synergy um, between creation and, and the creator. And I I, I don't think there has to be this juxtaposition or this tension between the two. um, But rather, if we approach both in humility, um, our interpretation of scripture and our understanding of the natural world, I think the two can actually go together in a beautiful way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. All right, Jenna.
5: I was just wondering what um, examples of horrible things you could provide based on your previous answer.
1: Wait, wait. Say that again.
5: So in her previous... In her previous answer, she said that there were some horrible, th- the Bible was used to do horrible things. I was wondering if she could give some examples or time frames just to get a better picture of what she's trying to say.
1: All right, Pastor
3: Bell, do you want to yes. weigh in on that? Yes. And I feel like he knows exactly what I'm saying, but he wants me to spell it out. And um, So, yeah, I think, let's see. You know, there is the abuse of women, uh, there is. Uh, the um, transatlantic slave trade there is now you know we have oppressive things that are happening in our world we can look all through history and see this not just in our own country but in other places like you know i'm going to rwanda in a couple of weeks and there was a rwanda genocide in 1994. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed by christians this was rationalized so and people haven't done this devoid of scripture but i think when you approach scripture with an inaccurate lens you can convince yourself of just about anything that jesus has not co-signed on so hopefully and if you have more questions regarding that please talk to me afterwards i i'd love to dive dive into that more with you
1: great question all right you guys aren't holding back i like it i like it all right so what do you have for us jenna
4: Hi, I'm Catherine, and so my question is,
1: if God is the creator of everything, did he create evil? (laughs)
0: Okay,
1: the evil question comes back again.
0: Yeah, well, I want to say two things to this. One is that this question about the existence of evil and suffering in the world, we've heard it so many times, and one of our guest pastors actually earlier, I think it was Alex um, Mm -hmm. um, from... The Mars Hill Church. Do you remember Alex, Pastor Alex, when he was here w- many weeks ago?
1: From Saints Hill, yeah. From Saints Hill Church.
0: Yeah. He, he, he's, he looked at us and said, You know what? I think this problem of evil is like, for young people today, it's like the number one question.
1: Is it your um, number one question? Show I of mean, you. for a lot
0: of people, I, you know. Yeah. So, it, yeah, no, no one was w- willing to go on that vote, uh, but I, I, I think it is. It comes up a lot. And so we know that it comes up a lot, and we, we want to um, give a little bit of a, a, a sneak peek. There's actually a part of the creed. So I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, died, and was buried. And so we're kind of saving like a mega showdown with this theme of evil and of suffering for that part in the creed because it's gonna come up. That doesn't mean we can't keep talking about it or asking about it. Um, One response to that question that people have given, whether it's satisfactory to you or not, is that humans have created evil or, in fact, that evil actually isn't even a thing at all. It doesn't even exist. We can't even dignify evil by even giving it an independent existence, like, oh, God was creating things, and God was, like, somewhere not recorded in the biblical text. He's like, heh, hey, hey, let me create this dark, mysterious cloud called evil and just kind of put it out there. And that evil's not like that, but maybe it's something more like a headache. Like, where would you find a headache? Could you extract a headache from my head? No, it's about an interaction of things, and maybe it's about choice, and it's about dehydration that I experience, you know, or whatever it is. (laughs) And so it's actually not even that simple to say, does God create evil? I mean, we also become, and this is part of the Bible story, we become kind of like co-creators with God and namers of things. Adam and Eve name name things and name animals in the garden, and so it could also be the idea that even though God creates, quote, everything, that people also create some things too, but I recognize that that's an impartial answer, and any 30-second any response we give to that is going to be wrong and bad, oh, man. just like that was.
2: Y- you guys ask the best questions, like seriously, incredible, um, and that, that is like the question of all questions, and, and it's really hard, and I th- you're right, like you look at the Genesis story, and there's a snake in the garden, so wh- where, did, where did he come from, right? Um, and yeah, like, like Brian said, there's different responses to this. Like one, and he kind of alluded to this, would be like, is evil a thing? Um, Augustine used the term privation, that it's actually a lack of goodness. Um, others would say, no, 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 evil is a thing. It's called Satan. Like it's actually a, a force that, that is named in scripture. Um, but let me, let me just throw this out. Every worldview, so it's not just the, the Christian worldview or, or a panelist, you know, sitting up here trying to answer the question defending a Christian uh, worldview. Every worldview has to answer this question: uh, whether you're atheistic or agnostic or whatever. We all have to grapple with why is there evil and suffering in the world. What I find beautiful about the Christian story is that it gives hope and it promises us a day when every tear will be wiped away. Um, in atheistic worldview, personally, I don't see that. Rather, it's a lack of hope. It's it's uh, nihilistic essentially. Um, blind, pitiless, indifference, Richard Dawkins would say. Um, but in the Christian worldview, we do have hope. We do have hope that all things will be renewed, restored, and that evil will be vanquished.
1: Pastor Bill, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, the only way I know to answer that question is really isn't an answer at all, which you guys are used to by now. But it is to remind us that God is not a puppeteer, and he created us with the power of choice. And so with that power of choice comes responsibility. And so we have made horrible choices, which has brought evil into the world. And that's not clean. And you know, we can get into this whole thing. Well, why does God allow it? And it da, 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 da? all those things are valid questions. And um, we can talk about that for years and, and wrestle through that. But I would encourage you to read something that is helpful to me when I think through evil and suffering and maybe the causes of it or why God allows it and all of that is to read the book of Job. And it's very thick. But reading through that gives me a lot of different perspectives, even the perspective of Satan. And so as as I read through that and I wrestle through that, I'm thinking, Lord, what? Is this and like I said it's not clean but I think it can help lay a foundation of some of the questions that you're asking about evil and suffering and why does it happen and how does it work out for good and what does this look like
1: I I appreciate all of those answers so much and dr. Doak was nodding his head during the job stuff because he's written about job so we could definitely have a much longer conversation we don't have any uh, traditionally defined theologians up here today, that there are some on our teaching team, and I'm sure they love these questions because these are the questions that keep them in business. It's job security <laughs> for them, right? So, Jenna, what question do you
6: have for us? Oh. Owen. Yep. Uh, and, and I just want to say, actually, I was the one who actually asked about that rock and roll with God question, so I want to thank you guys for answering that first. I was interested in Romans 8, uh, the opening passage uh, and the line that says, and For God has done what the law we can by the flesh cannot do, by saying his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemns sin in the flesh so that the different part of the law might be fulfilling us, who walk not according to the flesh but to the spirit. I was wondering about this. like if Jesus was made in the image of man as in the image of God, but more in the image of man. I, I wonder, it's like, could God have also made it so that Jesus could have, could have, in making Jesus like man, also given the uh, capacity to sin and do evil? And uh, uh, if so, if he, wh- uh, what would you think that God's intent was in doing that?
1: Okay, you ask a really good question yeah. that people, like theologians, especially in the early church, spent years and years duking it out theologically <laughs> um, a- about it. So let's, let's turn it over to our biblical scholar over here, see what, what Dr. Doke has to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, the question of Jesus' identity as human and divine is like the central, generative, meaningful paradox, beautiful paradox of Christianity. Like, that's where it is, and so some of these passages that, that you're quoting and so on have to do with this. I chose Romans 8 as one of the chapters that we all asked you to read this week, particularly because of the conclusion that the author gives to that exact kind of conundrum and to this problem of, like, ah, in the flesh, you know, what does this mean? Why are things hostile to God in the verse Owen was reading? Um... For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Like, what's happening there and, like, how does Jesus deal with that? I wanted to read, if I could read for us, just these few verses beginning in Romans uh, 8, verse 18. I consider, and this also goes to the evil question, by the way, as well, that that the good student asked back there. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And so there's this sense there, in response to this mystery of the spirit and the flesh and what we do, but also just more broadly, like in response to this created order we see, which seems beautiful at times, but also seems deeply corrupted, a language of labor pains. I'll never know, as a man, what it's like to be in labor pains, um, and I'll never know, like a mother does after birth, what it's like to see the thing that came to birth, the child. But like to experience that kind of pain and that kind of beauty in such succession, that's the image that the author here, Paul, is drawing on, this idea of a labor pain. And so um, I know that to answer that question, it would seem like you know there would be elevated theological language, but there is actually a kind of an answer to it here, which is that it's like a labor pain, that it's like a woman giving birth, yeah. and that that mystery is in fact solved by thinking about creation groaning its way into existence, its real existence later. At Pastor Bell, <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Doan.
3: I I absolutely uh, agree with that. Mm.
2: Yeah, I mean, just touching on this idea of redemption and this innate longing that we have for a a renewal of of beauty. Um, Creation is like kind of a bombed-out cathedral. You can see traces of beauty in it, um, but it's also a longing to be rebuilt. It's like a half-empty chalice. It's longing to be filled, a story in search Mm. of an ending. And uh, the beautiful thing of, of the Christian stories is that there is an ending. Mm.
1: I appreciate those responses. And yes, uh, labor is no joke. I can testify to that. And, but also, the idea of like reconciling this, like, the nature of Jesus in that moment, that moment of, it's a very strange moment of pain and beauty, like the pain of, of um, this human existence and the beauty of the divine. It's, that's a powerful image, so thanks for taking us, thanks Owen and Dr. Doak for taking us back to this week's reading. Jenna, what do you have for us?
7: Uh, good morning, my name is Joshua Thurman, and, uh, my question is for Dr. Doak uh, from Monday, but any of y'all open to, you know, answer it. So, uh, so like, you asked us and uh yourself, like, can God create anything new in you or like through us, you know, so like, I don't know if you was, but it kind of seemed like you was putting a limit to what God can do in your life because of like the point, like, like the age you're at. So it's like, from what I was taught in my church, is like, you you can never put a limit to what God can do in your life, because in the book of Genesis, uh, God created something new through through Sarah. She was a 90 year old lady and she had a baby. I was like, what the heck? That's impossible. But you feel me? But <laughs> but but you know but like you can never put a limit to what god can do in your life it's like in genesis chapter 18 verse 14 he said is anything too hard for the lord so like when like whenever you think oh like can I, can uh, god do anything new through me it's like he can do anything he wants you know because he's the creator of all so like you can never just put a limit to what god can do so
1: oh like, wow okay i'll just so. i'll just
0: take that as a i'll just take that as a word right there thank you <laughs> that's great
1: yeah i love that i love the story of sarah yeah. isaac's name means God laughs, I think, which is a great conclusion to that story. Yes. Do
0: you want to read something? Do we have something on paper there?
1: Um, I can look through them, yes. Um, No, no, we've got a question down here. Somebody's been dying to Okay.
0: (laughs) He's been holding his hand up. You win
1: by consensus. You need to thank your classmates back there. Yeah.
0: He actually came here at about 10.15 to put his hand up. Yep, yep. He's like, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. he's been holding his hand for approximately an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And now we will go if for If I it. hadn't
5: actually been here since that early, <laughs> then I would <laughs> I maybe know. disagree. Uh, so my name's James. Uh, so my question is, if we're accepting that there's some accommodation that has to go on with um, how the, wor- the Word was revealed and how Scripture came about, um, is there also a point where Scripture may fail us? Because in our canonization of Scripture and in our interpretation, both second-hand, first-hand, third-hand accounts, we're adding our own spin to it. Um, there's been translations from Hebrew, from Aramaic, from all these other languages that have created new interpretations. Even our Bible differs from other Bibles and translations, um, obviously different versions of the Bible, um, NIV, New American, all these other ones. So my question is, is there a, a point where the Bible has become too interpreted by people, um, maybe literally, and that we have to just kind of sit back and look at it more thematically to actually get a proper um, lesson from it.
1: Oh wow. Okay, so I hear I'm going to see if I can distill that question which is what is the reliability of the scriptures as we have them now? Is that? And and can they fail us? Will they fail us?
0: Well, w- one thing Pastor Bell had said earlier that I want to re-encourage you is like you actually in order to encounter scripture, if if that's a thing for you, you actually have to read it, right? There's this weird kind of cultural um there's a cultural paradox in America with reading the Bible, and in, in, in short, it goes like this. If I asked a group this size in most places in America to raise your hand if you think that Bible, the Bible is God's word, almost like as if God had written a letter to humanity, raise your hand if you think that's true, pretty much almost like 75% of people in any audience would say that they think that that's true. If I say, okay, okay, cool, um, how many of you have read, insert latest book that everyone's read, you know, like Harry Potter or something, probably like the same number of people's hands would go up. If we asked how many people have read the whole Bible, it's kind of like crickets, which is weird because, wait, you just raised your hand and said you thought that God had written us a letter, but you haven't read it? Like, is there not something weird about that? Do you think, do you see what I'm saying? Like, so, I, you know, this is not to, to James's question exactly, but I'm getting there, okay? I'm trying. I'm getting there. Which is like, <laughs> you know, if you wanted, like, get into this stuff, you would actually have to read. You'd actually have to know. Here's something disconcerting that James brought up that I think is true. Namely, the idea that we cannot get away from interpretation. We cannot get away from our lenses in the world. We cannot get away from our language. Even a translation of the Bible is an interpretation already at that stage, which is why in the lecture I wanted to just remind us that I sensed, just with my, like, psychic, spiritual, spidey sense sense out in the world, that many of you were uncomfortable with the idea of that tradition and that rationality would play any role at all in interpreting faith. And I'm just asking you openly to think about how, how exactly would you get away from those things? So the question is not, you know, like, do we, do we interpret? We do. To, very simple answer to the question, though, have we overinterpreted at points? Totally. I mean, totally. Um, and so that's why, to me, as a Christian, going back to Scripture and just reading, even though it's hard, has been a vital source of spiritual energy and not just listening to what all the voices say, as good as the voices are. I know that we're running out of time here, and that was a long speech.
3: Pastor,
1: Pastor Bell, what
3: do you? Yeah, think? Uh, I I appreciate your question a lot, and I appreciate your response, Dr. Doke, because I think in a lot of the the Bibles that we have, you know, there are paraphrases and there are translations, and some of it is not literal or hasn't been translated well, but has been translated in a way so that we could better understand it, which to my personal opinion is dumb it down, you know, to put it in our language so that, you know, we don't get all the words confused and it's like street talk and, you know, these different kinds of things. And sometimes when we do that, we end up um, oversimplifying who Jesus is saying that he is. And Jesus is the word. He is the logos, you know? So when we read and we see him, like the only interpretation that we should see is what he is actually saying about himself. And so those are the things that kind of bring life to how we read and interpret the Bible. Of course, not void of the Holy Spirit. Um, Whenever I read the word, every time i open it up i say a prayer and i say lord help me to see what you want me to see in this and help me to interpret it the way you want me to interpret it because we do bring our own baggage and our own culture to scripture and it's not that we shouldn't because i think jesus speaks to that in that place but we have to be careful of not just making his words just for me and not including all the other stories that that takes into account if that makes sense
1: well pastor thank you we're gonna we're gonna give you the last word that was a really helpful response and uh will you join me in thanking the panel this morning and really we're thanking you all too you all did a great job panel feel free to